Welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. We are glad you are taking advantage of this resource. If you would like to find out more information about our church or connect with us, go to cornerstonebv.org. You can also check us out on our Facebook page, at CornerstoneBV. We hope that the message today impacts your life and draws you closer in your walk with Christ. All right. Guys, can I have a seat? Have a seat. I feel like I've been changing my clothes all weekend, and it's worth it. I would do it every weekend for that uh, purpose, for sure. Um, you know, we're, we're starting a, um, a new uh, series here. Um, let me get it. Little load. Um, and it's just going to be looking and kind of going through the, um, the, the last, the final week of Jesus' life. And, and that week, um, let me pull it up again. That week began, I'm just going to, okay. That week began with a lot of excitement, right? Shouting and praise. And this is awesome. It's like a party atmosphere, right? And, and you know, if you've ever been to an exciting party, the last thing you want is someone getting all serious, right? Start, what do you guys think of the political situation? Right? Or, you know, and, and, and yet in all of that excitement, right? All of that, that, that exuberance, right? One of the first things we see Jesus do is something kind of like this. Watch out, Eric. I've always wanted to do this in church. Always, right? And just furniture. It got some real attention, right? And, and can you put up the first slide for me? Because mine was frozen. And what we see in all that exuberance, right? Jesus is not messing around, right? And he's still not messing around. Let's pray. Lord, we, we know you love us. And your grace and mercy, Lord Jesus, are beyond anything we can imagine. And yet... We also know that you're not messing around when it comes to the Father. And you're not messing around with what you want to see happen in our lives. Lord, you've brought us here for a purpose. You've you've brought us here to show us that, that there's more for our lives. Lord, we know both in person and those of us joining online that that we're all over the map. There's people struggling here. There's people in a really great place. There's people who aren't yet a Christian and they're not sure whether they want to be. And I just pray that your spirit would fill this time. It's already filled our worship and our singing and the baptisms. But your word, that it would be you, God, not me, that you'd use me as your humble vessel to bring a message to your people or to those who will someday be your people. In Jesus' name, all God's people said? Amen. Amen. So I think I'm back. That's good. Um, so this, this final week, we, we, uh, uh, I think there's a few left. Um, most of them are gone, but we also put it on our website. You um, can email it to you if you, you need it. But there's going to be a, there's a reading guide that goes along with this final week. Um, and it really is, we're looking at the book of Mark specifically. It starts with chapter 11 and goes to the end. Um, and, and so it's not meant to replace any like Bible stories you know, Bible study or reading or devotionals you're doing. Uh, but it's something I just would love for this season for us to be a, a chance to kind of uh, let God uh, just, just dig in a little bit deeper as we examine this final week of Jesus' life. And so, as I already mentioned, it began with dependent, and it doesn't really matter your church background, you've probably heard of Palm Sunday, right? And, and, and that's a celebration of that beginning of that week. Because that week, tons of people, along with Jesus and his disciples, flocked to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. 
And, and it's because it's the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. If you were with us during our Leviticus series, those kind of get combined for a week-long celebration where all Jewish males are expected to go wherever you live to Jerusalem. And they would typically bring families with them. They wouldn't go by themselves. And so masses of people descend on the city. And so, of course, Jesus does as well with his disciples. And they come down the Mount of Olives. Now, in the prophets, they, they, they said that the Messiah, the long-awaited anointed one that the Jewish people were waiting for, right, was to come and make an entrance into the city on a colt, right? Uh, and, and, and so Jesus, to fulfill that, gets one. He's riding it down the Mount of Olives. And that's when everyone says, I knew it. They, they kind of know in the three years of Jesus doing all this stuff, healing and miracles and everything else, he's the Messiah. He's telling us he's the one we've waited for, right? And so they, they come out and they greet him. They throw palm branches. They throw cloaks, right? And, and they cry out, you know, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, right? Hosanna in the highest. This is the Messiah. They expected the Messiah to come and to set up a Davidic kingdom like there once was, right? And they expected the Messiah to come and free them from the oppression of Rome. And Jesus was coming to free them from the oppression of something far greater, their sin, their own sin, and their own separation from God. And so he comes, and with all, so again, it's this party atmosphere. He's here. What's he going to do, right? And so the first thing he does, right, now I just want you to, to see this in, in verse, um, Verse 11, he, he, it says he entered Jerusalem, so he comes into his city, he went into the temple, right, that's, that's Herod's temple, uh, and, and when he had looked around at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So you're like, Jamie, that's not a big deal. Right, he went. Where's Bethany? Bethany's two, uh, about two miles outside of the city. It's probably he stayed with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. His very good friends. So many people in the city find a place to stay for the week, and they would travel back and forth, uh, as we'll see in the morning, and go back at night. But before he does this, I want you to see this picture, right? Because again, the Messiah he comes in on the colt. He comes into his city, Jerusalem. He comes into his temple, right, or God's temple, but the, right, and he and he looks around. And this is, I'm going to show you in a few minutes a model of it, okay? This is Herod's temple. It's one of the great wonders of the world. It's, it's amazing sight of, a, of buildings. And he comes in. You can see people are like, oh, he's probably super impressed by this, right? And Jesus looks around. And if you know the end of the story, and you will if not, he was not at all impressed with what he saw. Because he looked closely beyond the religious activity, beyond the glorious buildings. What do I see? What do I see? And then he turned around and he, he, he left. And I've always used this as an example of when you see something that makes you really angry, take a breath. I don't know if Jesus needed it or not, but I know I usually do. So he went to Bethany, had a good meal with good friends, got some good rest before he did anything about what he saw there. And so then we're, we, we really pick up the action, okay, the next morning. And Mark presents these really three events, right? But it's really one event split with the giant event in between. And this is called a, a literary device of a sandwich. How many people here have made a sandwich? Come on. Even our kids have made sandwiches here, I, I would expect. So I got the makings of one here, right? So it starts, getting a little raggedy now, three uh, gatherings here, with a piece of bread, Right? And so you got, we're going to see the first uh, part of this one unit that Mark gives us is Jesus dealing with a fig tree, okay? So that's, that's the bread. Then he's going to go into the temple, all right? And so we got a second event I've got for you here, uh, 
some nice salami. Anyone wants a sandwich later? This is not a normal smell when you're preaching a sermon, but that's okay. Right? So you got that. So it's kind of like two different things, piece of bread and some salami. And then, of course, you get your second piece of bread. So you got the temple that's in the, 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 the bread, and now you're going to have the fig tree again. And what it's going to do is these three kind of what you would think not really associated events make one big sandwich, become one point, one event, and Mark presents it that way, a little bit different than some of the other disciples. And so I want you to see it that way. So when you see the, uh, the fig tree, you're also seeing the temple, right? And so here, I'll show you what, what, what I mean. Um, so verse 12, and the following day, so he wakes up fresh, when they came from Bethany, so they're going back to the city, right? He was hungry. Isn't it nice to know that Jesus got hungry, right? Certainly was human. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it, right? So does that remind you of anything, first of all, right? He sees a fig tree. It looks good. It's got leaves, like the temple, right? This is the first piece of bread. Has glorious buildings, people doing stuff. It looks good. But he's, he's going to really look. What's behind the leaves, right? What's, what's behind the leaves. He wanted to see if there was anything on it. You know, in, in the Old Testament, fig trees were often were used as a symbol of Israel, not just the land, but the people, right? And, and sometimes God's judgment. So Jesus was making a point. And you need to remember that when you see this part of the story, because I love this, right? When he came to it, the tree, he found nothing but leaves. It's nothing, no fruit. For it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. I love that. It's a very short sentence. The disciples are over here going, man, Jesus is hangry or something, right? Like, I, like those Snickers. I don't know why they were those Snickers commercials. You know, you had like Joe Pesci's all angry, eats a Snickers, and he's like, oh, all happy again, right? And, and, and so they're probably like, what is he doing, right? Why is he so angry at this tree? And, and in fact, Jesus' um, critics, those who aren't Christians, they're, they're looking for anything to find reason to, to say, you know, he's not really as cra- all cracked up than what people present him as. They look at this story and they say, look, he was hungry and he killed a tree. And Mark tells us, wasn't even the season for figs. Like, who would do that? And, and, and they're missing the whole point. Jesus is not angry at a tree. He's showing, it's as an illustration, the sandwich, as we'll see, that he's angry with no fruit, okay? And, and so uh, some scholars think, well, it wasn't in season, and so that made it obvious it was, a, 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 he was, it was like a living parable, right? Others say that this is actually, when it's not in season, I'll give you a picture of what a fig tree looks like. And these are actually, I've never had any, but these are actually called pegim, and they're delicacies, unripened figs. And so some say, no, 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 Jesus was looking for these. If you have leaves, you should start having these. Either way, just trust me. Jesus was not angry and just killing trees for no reason, all right? He was doing it all for a purpose, and it's that first piece of bread. So then we get to the meat. He gets into Jerusalem. So they come to the city of Jerusalem, and he entered the temple. There, he did it again. He just did that the night before, right? And he began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. 
Okay, so it's similar. He's looking at the temple. He's looking and all he's seeing is craziness that he doesn't like at all. And he does something about it. So what is really happening here? I promised you a few minutes ago to show you a model. So this is Herod's temple. So when you read about the temple in Jesus' day, this is a model of what it would have looked like. This is actually the third rendition of the temple. You had the Solomon Temple, right, which is really glorious, right? Then that got destroyed by the Babylonians. And so then when you read in Ezra and Nehemiah, when they came back, they rebuilt it, a much smaller, kind of a smaller scale than Solomon's temple. This was even bigger than Solomon's. Like Herod, he wanted to impress the Jews, and so he built this ginormous situation. And if you were with us with uh, our Leviticus series, you remember the tent, and how as you got deeper into the tent, you got closer to the manifest presence of God. God is everywhere, of course, but there are specific places where he manifests his presence, and you got to be careful about those, especially when you're on the outside. And so it's built this way. You see the open area? That was over 500 yards long and over 350 yards wide, and that's called the court of the Gentiles. So what does that mean? It means anybody, no matter who you are, you could go into there, right? And it, and this is a wonder of the world. So people who weren't Jewish, they didn't know, they would come in and look and see what's going on here. They could come into the court of the Gentiles. But as you get towards the center, right, you get closer and you have the court of the women. So ladies, if you were a clean Jewish woman, you could go there. Gentiles had to stay out. See how you get more restrictive? So that's good for you, but ladies, sorry, you have to stop there. Then there's the court of Israel. That's all circumcised, clean Jewish men could go there. Nobody else. Then you go even deeper in there, and you can kind of see as the, the buildings get bigger towards the back. I know you can't really read the words. That's okay. It, you get the, the holy place. Only priests can go in there. And then you have the most holy place. That's where there's a veil, and behind it is that manifest presence of God for his people. And only one, the high priest, one time a year, the Day of Atonement, could go there. Right? So as you get deeper to that temple, towards the presence of God, you get more restrictive, more restrictive. And so in, in that court of the Gentiles is where Jesus is. This is where all of this is happening. And, and it's big business. Because when you came to town on Passover, you were a Jewish man, you owed your tax. And so guess what? You had Roman money, typically, right? That was not accepted. You had to do the exchange rate to get uh, something closer to Hebrew money to pay your tax. Guess what that rate would be? Not good. You're paying extra. People are pocketing. And the Jewish leaders of Sanhedrin, the council, are making a cut on all of this. You also would bring a sacrifice. Do you know that they recorded the first ever Passover when this temple was, was in action? Over 255,000 lambs were slaughtered. Then there's the pigeons. That's if you're too poor for a lamb, right? And, and, and so you, if you're coming from several miles, you're not bringing your own lamb, right, or your own pigeon. So you're going to buy it there. Have you ever bought a soda at Fenway Park? Popcorn at the movies? Ever wonder why do I need to spend $15 for basically air with salt on it? Because you have to, right? And so that's what was happening here. And, and even more, it's the atmosphere. They're bartering, they're ha haggling, they're, right? It was like any marketplace. And Jesus sees this, and he's like, what? And he puts a stop to it. And then as he's doing that, right, he, he says this. He's, um, actually this, verse uh, 17. He says, he was teaching them, and he said to them, 
is it not written? He's going he's to quote Isaiah here. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, plural, right? But you have made it a den of robbers. He, he, he's, he's telling them, you're missing this. Yes, you are the chosen people of God, always so that you could be a blessing to all the nations. That the message of God, you could point them to the living God. The court of the Gentiles in this amazing place where the presence of God is, you have an opportunity. These Gentiles are here. And, and, and you, could be, you could be worshiping and, and praising and actually being kind to one another. And they're like, I want to know this God. But instead, they look around and be like, yeah, this is like any other place I've ever been. What's the difference between this place and the world? Jesus would say, nothing. You've missed an opportunity here. You've turned it into a den of robbers. It's supposed to be a place of prayer where people are introduced to who God is. And so Jesus makes his point, and the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city, so they went back to Bethany. So the leaders, you can already see the built tension that's going to happen throughout this week. They already want Jesus out of here. He's causing too, much, too many problems, right? Except they're afraid, not of him as much, but of the people. Because they're standing, you know, like maybe you're just a, a common Jewish person. You're getting ripped off here. You're buying this, <sighs> whatever, I guess. It's a, and then the supposed Messiah starts saying, this shouldn't be. And part of you is going, yeah, I agree with him. Right? Like, I just didn't think I had the authority to say anything, but he does. Right? So the people are all stirred up, so the leaders want to kill him, but they're not going to do it yet. They're going to wait for an opportunity to do that. Right? Okay. So that's the meat. All right? Second piece of bread. And it's just uh, um, very quick. Verse 20 and 21. They're coming back in the morning. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots, and Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. All right, so that completes the sandwich. It's one unit. The fig tree, the temple, the fig tree. What happened to the fig tree? It's withered to its roots. That means it's not coming back. It's gone. It's gone. All right? And so the sandwich is complete. And here's the question. What, Jamie, does this have to do with us? This is great stories of ancient peoples and civilizations. But 2022, March, what's it got to do with me? It's a lot to do with us. That's why it was preserved in Scripture for us. That, that the fact is, and he, he, here's, remember that the title of the message is Jesus doesn't mess around. And first of all, I want you to hear, Jesus doesn't mess around with the presence of God. The manifested presence of God. He doesn't mess around with it. When you are in the presence of God, when we see the angels are in awe. They've been there forever. And it never gets to the point where they're like, yeah, I've seen this. When's the sequel? They're in awe of the living God. Anyone who comes in, Paul wrote, he said, I got a vision of the heavenlies. I can't even describe it. I can't even describe it. How amazing it is. The closer you get to the presence of God, the more awe, the more worship, the more thanksgiving, the more prayers, the more you just want to be more like him. That's what should be happening. And that's what Jesus wants to happen. He doesn't, this is not something to be messed with. And it was. You saw all kinds of, of, of super religious people thought they were doing good. 
but there was no fruit behind the leaves. Jesus, um, if, you, if you read in your Bible, you've probably seen a heading over that temple, and it said something like, Jesus cleanses the temple. That's actually wrong. He didn't cleanse anything, right? The next day they were doing it again, right? And he didn't go back every day until it was cleansed. And that's the reason. He didn't fail. Jesus never meant to cleanse the temple, right? Jesus came to replace the temple. Later on, uh, we'll read later, a few chapters later, they're sitting there with his disciples and they're looking at the temple. They're like, Rabbi, isn't it amazing? And, and, and Jesus is like, eh, it's pretty good, but it's going to be destroyed pretty soon. They're like, what? 70 AD, the Romans would destroy it, not to be rebuilt. That wasn't a failure. Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Here's the thing. To get to the presence of God, you now go through me. You see, by the end of that week, he would die on a cross for you in your place. No longer shed blood of lambs. No longer a sacrifice of a pigeon for your sin. Now it's the blood of the Lamb of God, the Son of God, right? So remember when he was on the cross? He said, it is finished, breathes his last. In that very temple, the, the veil that, that restricts us from the presence of God, whoosh, and two. And so now, you and I, by faith, walk through that veil anytime we want. In fact, Stephen, when he's uh, about to be martyred for his Christian faith, he said something to those who were about to kill him. He said, no longer do we have a temple made with human hands. Paul would write to the Corinthians that you, Christian, you are now, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of the living God. And then he went on to say, that even more manifest presence of, of, of God is when the body of Christ, each of us, when we gather, we're, we're stones, and that God's presence is with us right now. That's the temple because Jesus owned blood, shed blood, and because Jesus died and made a way where there was no way. The one thing I want you to hear, if, 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 if you've never walked through that veil by faith, is that there is no more separation. The only thing separating you from the presence of God is you rejecting the way he made through his son. That's it, right? Here's the ironic thing, is that the Jewish people in that day, the prevailing view was when that Messiah comes, he was gonna purge the city and the temple of outsiders and eunuchs and Gentiles and the unclean. He's gonna purge it. And instead, what we see in this sandwich is he didn't purge them. He made a place for them. That now the court of Gentiles, no longer, you can come into the presence of God through him. His, the presence of God for Jesus, he doesn't mess around with it. You see, I don't want you leaving here thinking that you're too far gone to be saved. You've seen the testimonies. You used to see them all weekend. People that thought they were too far. I had one guy talking to me recently, and, um, and, and he said, you know, I kind of grew up in the church, and, and I knew the truth, but I walked away, and I did so many horrible things. Why would God love me and accept me now? I said, haven't you ever read the prodigal son? God isn't going, ugh, can't believe you had your opportunity. He's saying, come home. And the way you come home into the presence of the Father is through the Son. Plain and simple. You don't have to be on the outside. You can have the presence of God, and we collectively can have the presence of the Holy Spirit of God all the time and for all of eternity.
The temple is not needed anymore. We are the temple. Not this, not this building. I believe in sacred spaces, I do. But if someone levels this building, wherever the church goes, that's where the presence of God is. Right now, there's churches meeting in secret and places that you would call dirty or in the open. The presence of God is there because they're there. And so secondly, and this is kind of my last point for you, is I believe this sandwich also teaches us that Jesus isn't messing around with the presence of fruit. He looks behind the leaves. He looks behind the glorious temple and all the stuff that's happening. Oh, isn't it great? Look, look. Let me see. Where's the fruit? Where's the real faith? Where's the, the heart for God? And we can do the same thing, right? Do me a favor. Anyone who has a Bible or, is, or is, has a Bible in your hands right now, just lift it up. Let me see. Let me see your Bibles. Let me see. <laughs> That's all you got? Oh my gosh. You guys are sad. You're not quite like me. <laughs> oh. I'm gonna get big biceps. I keep carrying around my Bible, right? This is in Greek and Aramaic and Hebrew and you know, and and uh, someday you'll get there. Like we can play this game. Right? Dress up and, 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 and play this game with, with, with like, yeah, I, I got me. You should see my bookshelves. I'm just saying, Jesus isn't impressed with you what's on your bookshelf. Oh, yeah, this is great. I have tons of books on my bookshelf, right? He's not impressed with how great your Bible cover is. And I hope you have a great Bible cover with the whole genealogy of your whole family, right? He's impressed with the fruit of your heart, your faith. It's not hide behind the leaves of religiosity but instead genuine, messy at times, faith and hope, and it comes out. You see, I want, there's this trap that we can fall into when I say this. I can even sense a few of you falling into this, and I don't want you to. When I talk about fruit, and some of you are sitting there, and you're in a struggle right now. You're in a place of struggle with your faith. And you feel guilty, like, I don't have fruit. He's going to wither me at my roots. Or, it, the, the struggle place of faith happens, and there's fruit that can be found there. I was just um, with a group of believers, um, men, uh, recently, and we were sharing. And this one guy doesn't come to this church. He actually helps lead worship at another church. And, and uh, mature, I mean, he's been a Christian for a long time. He's led people to the Lord, right? And he was sitting there in tears, and he said, guys, I'm broken. I'm broken. He said, I don't even, I can't even pick up my Bible right now. I can't pray. I don't know what to say. He said, I was playing guitar lightly at a prayer meeting in our church recently, you know, playing that little nice background guitar. He's like, I'm glad I was because if I was out there, I don't know what I would have said. He said, when the prayer meeting was over, I didn't talk to anyone. I went in the back. I found a place to hide and I hid and I wept and wept. And then he said, guys, I feel like such a hypocrite. I'm like, no. It's the exact opposite of hypocrisy. That's real. You're weeping before the Lord, right? The, what the enemy wants you to do is give up. Fruit in those moments. The ancient Christians called it the dark night of the soul. Some say, oh, that doesn't exist. Well, I've been there, so I believe it exists. Where I don't know what to say or what to do. Remember Lamentations, right? Like, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. That's what he's doing. In that struggle, there's fruit. 
right? Don't believe that. Yes, fruit is sometimes activity. Preaching a sermon, teaching a Bible study, serving the homeless, teaching the kids. Like all that is fruit, fruit, fruit. But don't think just activity is fruit. Sometimes we hide behind that. Fruit is your heart of faith. What does Jesus see? Ask that question. It's a hard question to ask. You know, this past week we lost um, dear brother in the Lord, Jim Babineau, Jim and Diane. Well, we're coming to church here, but Jim got lung cancer. And uh, um, so for obvious reasons, they did church at home for a while now. But I went to visit, and he says, hey, we put you, you know, right now we're live streaming at the 11 o'clock. He said, put you on the, on the TV, and we do church here. And I was like, oh, that's great, you know. And, man, just a lover of Jesus and people. The most recent visit, the very day he died, I went to see him. He couldn't talk. He couldn't go to the bathroom on his own. He couldn't, and he was frustrated. Who wouldn't be, right? He's like, oh, I want to get up. Like, Jim, it's not, not going to happen, right? And then, but in and out, he would, he was kind of had his eyes shut and he was talking. I couldn't really quite understand, but his daughter Linda said, he's been doing this the whole time. He's talking to Jesus. He's talking to Jesus. And right then and there, as I'm watching him, I'm just, I prayed, I'm like, Father, please. I don't want to be on a, a cancer bed. I don't know where I'll be. I don't know where you'll be. But please, when my strength fails, when my voice fails, and when I can't do anything, let me still have that fruit that Jim has. It's not about your activity. It's about your love and your hope and your faith that you cling to, to the ups and downs of life in Christ. That's fruit. And that's the question throughout this series. Ask the Lord, is there fruit even in my struggle is there fruit even if things are going well right now? Is there fruit even if everything gets taken away? I have Jesus. And lastly, you know, Paul said the presence of God is in the body of Christ. The stones, the temple, the church. And that's also our prayer for our church and for other churches too. I was, um, I guess you call it a meeting in my office this past week. I just call it a gospel goodbye because sometimes we say goodbye to people. Um, and uh, they, this guy named Rob and his wife, they, they're moving down south. And so they're heading out. And he wanted to just kind of come by, give me some books he didn't want anymore. That usually happens too. And we were talking, and he's like, you know, because he, he had been really involved in another church. So seven years ago, they, they moved to Uxbridge. And, and he took a long time to search out a church. And he just said, you know why I landed here? I was like, no. And he said, genuineness. It was genuine. And I don't think it means that other churches aren't. They are. But he, this, he said, you, the, your staff, the people here, genuine. To me, I heard fruit. Because when someone sees realness in a church, like the court of Gentiles, they're pointed to Christ, to the presence of God. And he could have said anything. He could have been like, you're amazing preaching. Bah. Awesome music, that program, whatever. Okay, those are all great. But to say genuineness, best compliment I could ever have. That's my prayer for us. Is that, is that people are pointed to the living God. That Jesus looks behind the leaves of us as individual Christians and as a church and he says, oh yeah, it's messy. And some of it's real small. There's fruit there. Not just showy activity. There's legit faith. Legit kindness, goodness, self-control, all the fruit of the Spirit being displayed there in my people. 
And because of them, people are going to come and say, I want to know their God. I want to know their God. And not come in and say, this is just like any other place in the world. What do I need this place for? That's our prayer for fruit. Let's pray. Lord, I, I feel burdened to pray for the strugglers who are with us this morning. I've been there. This place of desert and dryness, the place where they don't know how to take another step of faith. Oh, Lord, would you strengthen them? Would you pour your grace afresh upon them that they would not give up? Because when you bring them through the dark night, that they will be even closer to you than they've ever been before. Let them see the hope of the gospel again. Let them feel the joy of the salvation, of their salvation again. Help them, Lord. Help them to see you through the struggle. Lord, I, I pray for those who've never walked through that veil by faith, that today they would. And maybe we'd see their baptism. Lord, that they would just, you would show them to stop running, stop trying to do it on their own strength, and their own activity. Maybe they've run far from you, that, that they would come home and know that you welcome them with open arms because of your son and what he did and what he still does. Save them, Lord. And Father, I pray finally for fruit that this church and the people here that we would be the fruit that you see and are pleased with even in our mess, that we would be genuine, that people would see us and say, I gotta know that God. You would use us for your glory. Use us for your, just your purposes, whatever they are. You don't need to use us, but you choose to, and we're so grateful for it. Father, we just worship your holy name together. It's in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Why don't we stand and worship him with song?